in life, in your life, there are some things, many things, that are really, really important to you. No problem. And you devote prayer and fasting and whatever else, your energies and your time to those things very often. And that's absolutely fine. But you better listen. <laughs> because during your lifetime, there are some things that are incredibly important to God. To God. Not to you. And as God's children, we need to be willing, ready at any time to put our own, what can be often selfish, agenda down and be willing to listen to the timetable, to the agenda of God. Amen. And I, you know, more than ever in my life, I, I am so aware of this because of what's unraveling in the world. We're in the third week of a series about Israel, natural Israel, the nation, and spiritual Israel that the book of Romans prophesies will one day come together. The series is called The Mystery of Israel because in the Greek, the word mystery means that which is progressively revealed. It doesn't mean we will not understand. It may, I mean, Paul refers to Israel as a mystery. He says it to you. He says, I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be unaware of this mystery, Israel. In other words, this is something that will be revealed over time. And to say that it's critical, I couldn't even get the words to express how important this is. That's how important it is. It's beyond, it's beyond me, absolutely beyond me completely. I believe these are the last days, and that's something we've all grown up with. And you can get so blasé about it. You can just, you know, like a, a false alarm. And that's a strategy of the devil. I grew up in Belfast, and, and all my brothers, three brothers, worked in a hotel at the end of our street. And they, they, they used to bomb that hotel regularly. But, but what they did before that is they would call, and they would say, there's a bomb in the hotel. But there wasn't. And then they would call and they would say, there's a bomb in the hotel, but there wasn't. And this would go on and on and on until, guess what? There was a bomb in the hotel. Evil, what? And this is how it is in the last days. So much talk about end times. You notice it's not in fad anymore. It's gone off like five years ago. It was never off the TV. Now it's not on the TV. In and out, in and out. How foolish, how stupid and spasmodic the church can be to be fickle like that, or to, or to treat these days like that, like it's some sort of trend. Well, it isn't a trend, folks. It's a trend that's going only one way. Amen. It's a trend that's heading in only one direction. So here we are confronted with a stark and startling reality. The last days and what and the unveiling, if you like, of the mystery in our days in a way that it wasn't possible before. Or at least it wasn't revealed before. Okay? Each generation has their own particular nuance. And this generation most certainly has a lot to do. Which is why the vast majority of the parables were written to us. Jesus took a lot of time talking to us. Remember, what was it? 12 out of 15, I think it is. Something like that. Parables refer to these days. The last days. There are some key scriptures to begin with, just to recap briefly. 
We began two weeks ago by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, where God talks to us about His Word. And He says, we have this light. He's talking about scriptural prophecy. That's what He's talking about. And Peter says, we have this light shining in a dark place. And by the way, the, the context is end times. And the context here, the warning here, is that in the last days, there will be darkness in terms of revelation, in terms of understanding of prophecy. There will be darkness. But that darkness does not have to apply to you because you have the light. And Peter says, you will do well to heed it. The second scripture we looked at was as we saw, you know, politically and militarily around the world, the situation that Israel are in right now, this I believe we are approaching the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jeremiah says it, it, is, it is the worst time. I mean, Israel's had some history, right? They've had a terrible history, terrible. But scripture says that these times, the Jeremiah times, that there will never have been a time like it before or after. The time of Jacob's trouble. But, praise God, that particular little discourse there ends with good news because it says, but Jacob will be saved out of it. Amen. So God has a plan in all these troubled times. Psalm 122 and verses 6 to 9 instruct us to, to pray for the peace of Israel. Deuteronomy tells us that there are many secret things held in the presence of God, kept in His own counsel. But that same passage in Deuteronomy says, but there are things revealed to you, things that are being opened up to you so that you can use them and do your job as, as an intercessor, as a prayer warrior on the earth. But to do that, we're going to have to see what's happening in every you know, genre, in, in, in politics, in economics, in every area around the world. We are going to have to be with it so that we can pray, so that we can interpret Amen. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist was in prison, he knew. He got the news. And his interpretation was, now's the time to move. You, we need to keep abreast of everything. You know, this congregation's not bad, but some of the other congregations, I'm, I'm shocked at, at, at how people just lose touch with the world. I know we have busy lives, folks, but please don't fall into the trap of being so busy that you're not with what's actually happening. That's a big mistake. And lastly, in Numbers, Scripture says that God will bless those who bless Israel, and He will curse those who curse Israel. Next slide, please, Stefan. That was just the first week. Then we began to look last week at where we stand and, and where the nation of Israel stands. If I'm born again, I belong to spiritual Israel. I'm not a citizen of the nation of Israel. I don't have an Israeli passport. No. I'm grafted in to what God calls His Israel, His dream, if you like, His vision from way back in Abraham, remember? When through you I will bless Israel? All nations. All nations. Right? So I, I'm grafted in there. Now, this picture, God's dream of, through the Jews, through the nation of Israel, yes. God's dream to bring one people to Himself is coming to pass. And, and, and we see that not just in the New Testament. We see it everywhere. It's just we read through it. We miss it. 
Remember, we looked the prodigal son last week. Remember? Who's the younger brother? Israel. Cast out to the nations. And after many days, returns home. Now, and who's the elder brother? Judah. The Jews who were faithful, who returned to Jerusalem, and indeed the Jews who are still there today, to this very day, those guys. That's Judah. Now listen, when the younger brother returned, remember he sent, you know, or he, in his head he was thinking, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. You know, he, he was apologizing and repenting and, you know, making his plan to go and meet his father. When the younger brother returned, who was the first person he met? Father. And that's God. That's the point. That in these last days, as the Jews who were dispersed through Israel returned to Israel, they are being saved. Left, right, and center, all over the world, all over the globe. Wonderful, excellent. The veil is being lifted out there. And we yet have to see that with Judah. We yet have to see that within, in the nation of Israel to the degree that God wants it. Amen? But this same principle, I just want you to be concrete, sure on this, folks. God is fulfilling the, the, the plan, the dream, the vision that was written, you know, long before we were ever here. He's right on schedule, right? Not ahead, not behind. He's bang on plan. This same story you find in Genesis. Do you remember another two brothers? Give me the names of two brothers in Genesis. Another two. Jacob and Esau. Who was the elder? And what happened in the womb? Kick, kick, kick. And Esau came out first. And then what did he do? What, what did Jacob do? Stole the blessing. Jacob's the younger brother. What did the younger brother do? When he stole the blessing? He ran away. Here we go again. We have the older brother at home. We have the younger brother running away. Then what did Jacob do? He came back. It says Jacob returned home, having stolen his brother's blessing. He was afraid to meet Esau. And it says he sent servants on ahead. And he sent them with gifts and gold and slaves and all sorts of stuff. And the message came back to Jacob. It's in Genesis 32, and it says, your brother's coming to meet you, and he has 400 fighting men with him. You can imagine Jacob, right? Now, Jacob did go back. In fact, in one point, remember God spoke to Jacob, and he said, I'm going to change your name. What did he change his name to? Israel. And you will be a picture of Israel. Just like the prodigal, you too, Jacob, will be cast out into the nations. You too will return. And just like the prodigal met the father and his eyes were opened, so Jacob, before he met his elder brother, who did he meet? He had a wrestling match. Remember? He was up all night wrestling with the Lord Jesus Christ, in my opinion. He met the Lord. Same picture again of the, the nation, the, the, the lost tribes, if you like, Gentiles, etc., coming together as what Paul calls one new man. Hallelujah. God is bang on schedule. 
I just don't know where you are. I, I, I don't know where we are. I don't know where the church is. That's Israel. That's their part. And then the second part was I want you to be 100% concrete sure that you have now, if you're born again, you have been collectively, you know, grappled up into the same beautiful covenant with God. It's fantastic. Awesome. Thank God for that. A lot of questions this morning. Here's another question. When the Egyptian, when the Hebrew people left Egypt, did the Egyptians go with them? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. The army didn't. The army got drowned. But what happened is, in Egypt, when they were there, the, 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 the blessings and the plagues started to flow. And when it got to the eighth plague, what happened was this. It says in, in Exodus, some of the Egyptian people, that's you, went to the Hebrew people, Israel, and said, we can see that God is with you. Can we come? Can we join with your God? Can we be part of your people? Awesome. This is us, but this is a picture of us. And Moses had a big problem. Because now he's got all these people. He's got his own Hebrew people, the Jews if you like. And he's got outsiders, that's us, who are attempting to come into the same covenant. Attempting to be party, you know, with the same Lord, the same Messiah. And Moses actually turned to it. Exodus chapter 12. Look at this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 49. Moses goes to God and Moses says, God, what do I do with these people? That's us. What do I do with these Gentiles? Surely they can't be part of God's people. And God answers Moses in Exodus chapter 12, verse 49. God answers Moses and he says this, Moses, the same law applies to both the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. They are welcome. Anybody who attaches themselves to the Jewish Messiah is welcome. You understand? And that's you folks. That again in, in Old Testament picture form, that is us. We are accepted as spiritual Israel. Grafted in is the way Paul puts it. Praise the Lord. Such a covenant. Such a powerful, powerful covenant. Not like men make. Not like men make. But made in blood. Signed in blood by Jesus Christ. We're bang on schedule. Turn over your notes to the, to, 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 to the back side. It's got a, a 1 to 16 list of prophecies. I just want to run through these very quickly. There are thousands of prophecies in scriptures, folks. Thousands and thousands. But they, they, they reckon that we can generally categorize the prophecies concerning Israel into 16 points. And what I want you to see is that 13 of them have already been fulfilled. Number one, Israel's enslavement in Egypt was predicted long before it happened. Israel's deliverance was predicted long before it happened. That they would possess Canaan was predicted. That Israel would turn to idols was predicted. That they would establish Jerusalem was predicted. 
that Israel would be taken captive, that Judah would be taken captive, the destruction of the first temple, the return to Babylon, the destruction of the second temple, the scattering of the Jews among the nations, that they would be persecuted by the Gentiles, and that they would return from exile. And yet to be fulfilled, we have these three remaining points, three remaining issues. In fact, number 14 is already happening, I think, as we see anti-Semitism rising within Europe. You see what happened in France last week, where they were going to blow up a Jewish community, the bakery in the middle of a Jewish community there. Anti-Semitism is alive and well. It's all around us, okay, growing strong. So 14, 15, and 16, as a Christian, as a, as a you know, a grafted in, born again Christian, these become top foremost in my mind as things that I need to pray about. Turn your sheet over, please. So what we're going to do today is I want to give you just, just uh, there's actually 10, but there's only nine or eight or nine bullet points of how we can pray. How do we go about this? Where do we start? How do I pray for Israel? Okay, I'll just start them and, and we'll work our way through them. Number one, Stay within the confines, the parameters of Scripture. I follow politics closely, and I have my own opinions. It doesn't mean my opinion is right, and it doesn't mean God will do what I want. Amen. Because He has His own design, He has His own plan, and He will carry that plan out, right? I've just got to accept what Scripture says. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, When you pray for Israel, pray this, that when they flee, when the nations surround them and they have to flee, pray that that day is not a Sabbath or in winter. There's reasons for that I won't go into. But I just want you to notice something. He doesn't say, pray that they don't flee. He doesn't say that. They will flee. And I know one pastor was praying that Armageddon wouldn't happen, you know? God help us. You've got a problem if that's the way you think, you see, because this is, this is prophecy. These things will come to pass. And who, who wants Armageddon? Nobody wants Armageddon, right? Nobody wants these things. But I've got to accept that God has a, a great, great plan. And part of my job as a Christian, Deuteronomy 29, 29, He will begin, God will begin to reveal to you things. Listen. In Jesus' name, listen to me. God will begin to reveal to you things that you need to pray about concerning the unfolding of the last days. So you're going to have to tune in. Tune out the world and tune in the times and God. We did a wedding a few weeks back, a double wedding and finished everything. Great day. I went to bed. She goes to sleep, normal, just like that, out like a light. And I went to sleep, but I woke up wide awake with a vision before me, you know, a God one, not me. It was a God. And I could see uh, Sakasvili, the president of Georgia, just an old Russian state. I could see him clear, and I knew it was God. I didn't understand the vision. So I just lay there and I thought, what's up with Sakasvili? He's a, politically, in terms of Israel, he's a good guy. Because Russia's up here and Russia won. Scripture predicts that the kings of the north will march down on Israel, right? Israel's down here. Russia's up here. Well, George is in the middle. 
And about a year and a half ago, two years ago, remember, they tried to, to invade there uh, because they want that passage. Prophetically, they need to come down. Now, this was about three, four weeks ago. But I saw Sakisvili, and I didn't know what it meant. I couldn't understand. I didn't think I needed to understand. I didn't think there was anything to do. And then last week, what happened? He's lost his position. He's no longer president. And they have replaced him with a pro-Russian guy. And now the blockage is removed. One more piece of the puzzle. Just like what's happening in North Africa, it's got nothing to do with freedom, folks. It's got nothing to do with freedom. Believe me, before, when, when there was the first skirmishes, I put a map up here and I told you, this will result in the rise of Islam in that area. I told you. Has it? Absolutely. This has got nothing to do with freedom. This has got to do with the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And our God is a God who can make kings rise and make kings fall, all to suit His purposes. And that's what's happening. And the reason I saw Saakashvili's face is because I got a bit of a problem with point one, you know. I don't want God to stay within the parameters, right? And there's good reasons and bad reasons for that, I suppose. But I, I think God's saying, okay, you're taking me seriously. That Yes, I am, Lord. And it was just a little hint. I'm going to move this guy out of the way. And that tells me that, again, the battle of Armageddon is being formed. The, the pieces are falling into place. And it just makes me think of my family, my neighbors, my friends, my city, my country, my people. What on earth am I doing? What am I doing? I need to get with it and realize the urgency of the hour. Part of our role is to bring these truths to God and to so-called remind Him of them. I know that sounds funny, but that's what the word intercessor actually means. The word intercessor in Hebrew is the word maskira, and it's the word for secretary. And the principal role of a secretary is to bring to the boss, you've got this on today, you've got that on, and then you do this, and tomorrow you're going to be... It's that type of thing. We bring to God prophecy. We bring to Him scriptural promises. Protect Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel. And we pray in these things. We'll look at that in more detail at another time. Point two. In terms of prayer, and this is a general point, not just one that concerns Israel. This is a general point, but no, nonetheless important for that. In fact, let's turn to that one. Jeremiah chapter 31. Many of you will know this by heart. Jeremiah 31, 7. It says, this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for who? Jacob. Who's that? Israel. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard on heaven and say, say or pray, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. We'll look at that another time. But I, I, I just want you to see some things here. These are prerequisites, I can't say that word, for answered prayer. Folks, everybody look up. If your prayers aren't answered, why? Why? 
1 John says, when my spirit does not condemn me, when my heart does not condemn me, I know that I, I, I can, I, I'm in a place where I'm right with you, God. Is there anything wrong, God? Show me and I will change it. Now. And God puts confidence in your spirit and then you get maybe a word. This is what I want you to pray. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. How many believers, me well and truly included, we just keep on walking and forget about it. It's not wise to do that. Why is my prayer not answered, God? What's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And this brief scripture is a very good scripture because it gives us some of the keys for entering the courts of heaven. And one of the things that I could do wrong is I could be going into my prayer time miserable. And he says, you, actually, you have to enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Remember in Nehemiah's day, if you entered the courts of the king, they could cut your head off if you weren't smiling. I mean, you'd get a pain in the face in his job, wouldn't you? Right? But if, if you're going to enter the courts of heaven, misery guts, moaning and complaining, and then we think that God hears, well, I'm sorry, he doesn't hear. God just doesn't hear a prayer like that. Didn't sing ye do a good job on Friday night? Wasn't that excellent? She said this line. She said, God doesn't always hear your prayer. Every time anybody says that, you can just feel the congregation go, um, God always hears prayer. You can, you can feel it, you know. Religion. No, God doesn't always hear your prayer, my friend. God doesn't always hear your prayer. That's just patter. It's not scriptural. Scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God does not hear my prayer. God does not always hear prayer. It's not automatic. Okay? Stick to the confines of Scripture. These are some of the things that I must be and do to enter in to the courts of God. And he lists them. I must sing. Now, you don't have to answer this. I, I'm, I'm just challenging you. I don't want to make you feel guilty. Well, I do. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I, I want to challenge you to change. Do you sing? We sing at home. We sing all the time. We sing together. You know? Sing before we pray. Do you shout? You know I shout. <laughs> Do you shout? Do you remember dear, what's his name, Pradeep, Pradeep and Lethe? Remember? Remember when I dragged him out? God bless him. He forgave me. And I pushed him around the place. Remember? Remember that? He, please, please don't do that. Please. Pradeep! Shouts! Come on! He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Too much of a gentleman. Do you shout? You see, folks, it's funny, but it's not a joke. If you don't shout, believe me, you've got a problem. Because you're not scriptural. That's your problem. My Bible says shout. What does yours say? Thank you. So if you don't shout... You're actually lacking something. You're missing something. You need to shout. Okay? It's a command. And it's one of those for entering his presence. A friend of mine, two friends of mine actually, one of them couldn't swim and the other one was a lifeguard in this swimming pool. And Siobhan, she couldn't swim and she got this big rubber ring and she, she floated around in the middle of it. She was the only one in the pool. And Steve, my mate, was the lifeguard. He was a sunny day. He was sitting outside. And Siobhan's, you know, floating around. 
enjoying herself in the pool, when all of a sudden the little thing goes, and she starts to sink. So Steve's outside. He's completely oblivious. Do you know what she did? She said, Steve. That's what she did. Steve. Oh, come on now, Steve. You know? And the thing would go, down she went. She went under the water. And he was outside. He got up to do something, just threw the paper down, just glanced. He was actually outside. There's a doorway. He glanced through the doorway, and he saw her underneath the water. And he just kept on walking. And then he suddenly remembered, hang on a minute, she can't swim. And he looked in, dived in, and dragged her out. And when she was, you know, got herself together, he said, what are you doing? Why didn't you shout? And she said, I didn't like to. God help us. God help us. What on earth is wrong with you? But that's what it's like in the kingdom of God. And I've had firsthand, never mind, you know, the scripture says this, but I'm telling you folks, this woman came to us with a demon. There was a demon in her. It stopped her praying. She couldn't pray, couldn't open her mouth. She was one of those, you know, like a dummy sitting in the church every week. And she was frustrated, and she, you couldn't get her to pray. And one night she got fed up with it, you know, and she stood up and she said, I've got a demon in me. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, we'll deal with that right away. I've got a demon in me. Okay. I said, all right, we'll drive that demon out. And we did. But my point is, I, I got a word from God for her to say, prophesy. My body is the temple, the Holy Spirit, and the blood of Jesus has set me free. Say it. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But I had another word. This is my point. I had another word because the demon wasn't delivered. And I knew I'd heard the first word. So I knew this is not not God. This is you. But I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I went back to God. I remember it was an all-night prayer meeting. I told everybody, nobody speak. And they were bursting to speak. Total silence. Shut up. No one speak. And I wanted to hear you, see. And God spoke to me straight away. Tell her to say it indignantly. You see? She had to go after that demon. She had to be determined, not passive. Come on. It's one of the prerequisites for getting our prayers answered, not just for Israel, important for Israel, but for all of life. Sing, shout, clap your hands. That's a weapon. Proclamation, praise, and prayer he mentions there. Number three. How to pray for Israel. In fact, let's just read this one. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. What a, it's an excellent scripture. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. Daniel's praying for who? (laughs) Praying for Israel. Praying for Judah, actually. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. And Daniel says this. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of the kings, our princes, etc., etc. Now, please look up. Name me one sin recorded about Daniel. There isn't one. Only two people in Scripture with no sin attributed to them scripturally. Joseph and Daniel. 
We, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. One of the rules, I guess, about praying for Israel and you know, praying for the nations as well is we need to associate ourselves with the sin of others. Amen. And I mean, Britain, when it comes to a track history, a track history towards Israel, Britain does not have a good track history, friends. In 1917, this country had the, the open door to see the nation formed in. But Britain stood against it. Britain held out, and the nation was not formed in 1917. And over the following 30 years, what happened to the British Empire? It fell apart. Because God will bless those who bless Israel, and he will curse those who curse Israel. America needs to listen to that story right there, right now. They need to heed that warning, because they're just about to do the same thing. And anyway, we don't have time left in this planet for them to reap the whirlwind from that. But they're very foolish not to defend Israel in more vigorous ways. In Daniel chapter, five, in Daniel chapter 9 there, we see Daniel associate himself with the sins of his people. And I encourage you to associate yourself with the sins of the nations, but particularly with Israel. Israel do a lot wrong. I'm going to look at that next week. Israel do a lot wrong, a lot of big problems, big mistakes. And you can look at that today, I mean. There's a lot of bad behavior going on. Our point, please look at me, listen. You need to pray for Israel. Amen. But you need to know how. And that's what today's about. You need to know how to pray. Shout, fine, no problem. But you also need to be able to get God's... An intercessor, as an intercessor, I need to be able to go to God and, and, and get Him to do something, if you like. That's my role, okay? I'm not asking Him to deal with me. I'm asking Him, an intercessor asks you to deal with someone else. And that, that, this is the point. It requires an attitude in me. Listen, as pastors, people come to us all the time and ask us to pray for people. Well, you're going to go to God and ask Him, ask him to deal with Israel, right? To bless Israel. There's a way to do this. And people will come to us and say, oh, uh, someone will come to Pastor Tom and they'll be full of pride. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with them. Hey, Pastor Tom, come here, Tom. They, they, they come up and they say, hey, Pastor Tom, how are you doing? It's just me and you, buddy. Do you know what? See that Brenda one there? She got a big problem, that girl. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what we should do? We should pray for her. We should drive that thing. <laughs> we should pray for her, right? Now, see, Tom, Tom will sense, thank you. <laughs> Tom will sense in me bad spirit, full of pride. And when I'm talking to him, do you think he's thinking of Brenda? No. I have not succeeded in turning his attention to Israel. If I approach God full of my own pride and ask Him, He's not listening to me. He's that you're the one that needs help. But someone else will come and they will say it completely different. Say, excuse me, Pastor Tom. Listen, I'm doing okay. The family's good. We're praying every day. Things are going good. And thanks for your prayer support. But keep praying for us. I just saw something that I think you need to be aware of. And maybe we can both pray for this person. His attention is turned, not to me. That's the role of an intercessor. An intercessor must 
That's what Daniel was like. He accepted himself, but he accepted and took on himself the sins of the nation. God hears a prayer like that. Are you with me? Okay? So by all means, shout. And that's the aggressive side, but humble yourself as well. Number four, identify with God's ultimate purpose. And once again, as I mentioned politics last week, we have to accept the things that are going on in the world, and they are treacherous things. These are, are amazing times, absolutely amazing times. There isn't enough days in the week to keep pace with the amount of prophecy that's being fulfilled, you know. There really isn't. It's just, it, it, it's flying through at the moment right now. Number five, remember in everything you do that it is not by might nor by power, but how is it? It is by the Spirit of God. And if there's any nation on this earth that understands that, it's Israel. Israel today only has 14 million people. That's all. In the whole world, right? It's a very small nation. You know, China's just rip-roaring like India, rip-roaring in population. And when they calculate the population of China, they do so with statistically for the books. When they calculate the population of China at the moment, they do so with a plus or minus 14 million. That's how big China is. In other words, they can't get the figures right, so they have a little bracket there. Plus or minus uh, 14 million. That's the entire people of Israel in the whole world. So this is not a nation that can say we're going to do this by might or by power. It's got to be by the Spirit of God. Amen? And you remember that when you pray. Remember it. Think about it. And, and, and receive from God. Open up your ears. Give God time to speak to you, to guide you about what to pray so that it is spirit. Okay? There's a lot of information, you see, folks. And information doesn't cut it. Information doesn't do it. Okay? Look at me. Stay focused. You don't come to church on Sunday for a lecture, correct? Amen? What do you come for? You don't come for your head. You come for your spirit. That's what you come for. You come to have your spirit fed, to receive something in here, not up here. Listen, the things of God are not achieved by might or by brain power, but by the spirit. And if I bring you stuff or I give you stuff that is purely academic, it'll go in one ear, it won't change you. Amen. Only what hits your spirit is going to actually do anything or make any odds at all. Amen. And so we should be as the children of God, not by might, not by brain power, but people of the spirit in all ways, in all manner of ways, in our walk, in our prayer listening, tuned into God, and then praying that double-edged sword into being. Not by might, Israel, nor by power. And so I don't need to be frightened of all the stuff and all the nations warring against Israel, which is so hard to, so hard to not pray against it, to be honest. It's, you know, we pray for the peace of Israel, but it's so hard to say, okay, God, we accept Sakasvili then. That's, you know, Jesus... Not nice. Open the door and the devil to destroy 
millions of people that's about to happen. Of course, it's not nice. Number six, if we do our job as a Christian, it lifts the spirit of depression off us. But many people do not do anything to do with their job as a Christian. We had a lot of people on the street yesterday in the evangelism team. Very good, amen? I guarantee you, every one of those people went home happy. And you know why? Because doing what you're supposed to do makes you very happy. Very happy. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you'll be miserable, negative, sad. Very simple. Do you know the number one psychological problem in the church with born-again Christians is? Depression. That's right. Depression. What on earth is depression doing in here? Well, the devil makes work for idle minds. Look at Psalm 102. Look at this for depression. You think you're depressed? Look at this. <laughs> this is a cracker. Psalm 102. I'll read verse 3. Psalm 102, verse 3. This is one depressed psalmist. For my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. See, this person wasn't Chinese. You can tell that straight there. Amen. In my distress, I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl, and on and on and on. But my point is, look at verse 13. This is a depressed person. But in verse 13, everything changes when the focus goes on who? Israel. Everything changes. The spirit changes. The depression's gone. You will arise. You will have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Listen to me, guys, please. Some of you, because some of you do suffer with depression. Are you doing your job? Are you focused on the misery? You can easily do that. Okay, the devil's out of bed before you, you know. He's up long before you, and he will serve you a plate full of depression every day. If you eat it. If you eat it. There'll be a fresh dish every morning. If you eat it. Or you can refuse it, and you can do your job. And that psalm tells me that I've kind of got a choice. It's the time of God's favor in these days. I've got a choice. I've got to be careful. If I start to get down and dreary, like the psalmist, he says, you know what? Focus on Zion. Focus on Israel. Turn your prayer that way, and you will soon lift your head. Amen. Do it, folks. Do it. Not just for prayer for Israel, but whatever your ministry is, do it, and you'll feel so much better. Right? Number seven. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's Psalm 122, which we looked at in our first week. This is a repeated command throughout Scripture. Now, I can't emphasize enough how important Scripture is. But let me just show you this. Kind of scary. It's like the Church of England, right? You walk in, right? Who in the Bible had one of these? Moses. And Moses was called by God to go against what was then the most powerful 
nation on earth, the mighty Egyptian army, with all their splendor and their horses and their soldiers and their shields and their swords. And Moses, you know, stammering, stuttering, says, G -g God, what am I supposed to go? I can't do it. And like a comedy script, God says, uh, here you go. That'll do it. Take that stick. God help us. Can you imagine that situation? Imagine Moses, all right, I'm sorted. Come on, then. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, I'm sure. Can you imagine the attitude? What attitude would you have? Here you go. Anybody take it? What attitude would you have? This is ridiculous. What are you trying to make me look like, God? Look like an idiot? In front of the people? I'm supposed to... Everything's going to be okay, folks. I got it sorted. We're going to go against Egypt? Hey, you absolute crackpot or what? Who is this guy with a rod? You see? Very easy to disrespect this. Very easy. What are people going to think of me? I walk around with this. They weren't laughing when they got to the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army were behind. Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And even though they would have laughed and ridiculed, he kept the rod. And when he got to the Red Sea, God said, now lift it up. And the mighty Red Sea parted. And then he got to the other side. And nobody's laughing anymore. He got to the other side with all the Hebrew people safe, and God said, lift it up. Now it will destroy your enemies. Do you know every single miracle that Moses worked was done with a rod? Every single miracle. What's the lesson? What is the rod? I'll give you a clue. What is your rod? This is your rod. This is our warfare. This is, this is your weapon. These are your bullets. But you know what? When, when my friends in college or my friends or my family, they ask me what I believe, and I say, well, it says in Genesis, but <laughs> they believe in Genesis. They mock you. They ridicule you. But this is your rod. Don't disrespect it. Don't despise it. Moses kept it. Now, I know he had a few attitude problems, but he overcame them. It's okay. He got through that wilderness 40 long years, and he kept the rod all that time. You need to keep the word because it's actually all you've got at the end of the day. This is all you've got. The problem is we do not know what we've got in our hand. We do not know what we've got in our hand. We carry it around. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't carry it around. Maybe you don't bring it to work. And I understand there may be issues with that today. Are you ashamed of this? You need to get over that. You need to be seen with it, proud of it, 
in the right sense. And I think Moses held that rod, and eventually it began to work for him. And so the Word of God will work for you. Jesus said, those who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. This is his design. This is his way. It's a pretty good way, actually. It's a pretty good way. Point number eight, don't tell God what to do. Rather, be like the Bereans who, who, who sought out Scripture and cross-referenced, if you like, prophecy with Scripture. Be like the sons of Issachar who kept their eyes on the times and the day in which they lived. Don't tell God what to do. Rather, find out what God is doing and be the mascara, the Hebrew intercessor that lifts up Israel. Number nine, pray for the harvest of the Gentiles to come in because when the, when the harvest, when the full number of the Gentiles comes in, what's going to happen? The veil will be removed from the Jews and they will flood into the kingdom. Motives are incredibly important to God. Sometimes I think they're the center of everything with God. My motive, why I do what I do, you know? like evangelism yesterday. Why am I there? Why am I here? Why did I come? God sees these things. He analyzes them, looks at them through and through you, through and through me. And we prayed through the week, but when I got down on the street, you know, I was very moved and you have to hold yourself together. But I was just walking around before we began distributing leaflets, and I, I just said to God to straighten my motives, you know. I said, God, you know, today I'm going to give out these leaflets so that the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, so that your long-weighted desire to remove that veil can come to pass. I'm going to give these leaflets out to fulfill prophecy. Jesus! You constantly did this. You said, I do this so that prophecy will be fulfilled. I do that so that prophecy will be fulfilled. Well, today, God, in this evangelism, we do this so that prophecy will be fulfilled, so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. Now, I don't know how you feel about these things, but for me, one half of me says, thy kingdom come, and the other half of me says, please don't. Please don't come. Because what about my brothers? Jesus, God help me. What about my family? So Lord, I, I, I can't stop it. God's not going to work to my agenda. God's not going to work. I've got time. You've got time. The most precious thing you've been given don't waste it. Don't waste it. But today, ring that brother, email that sister, text that friend, and stir up a conversation. Estella was busy so much on the street yesterday. It was really good. She was standing, people constantly talking to her. And she came to speak to me at the end, and she said, how do you think this is going? <laughs> I think it's going pretty well. You're stirring up interest in God. You're stirring up curiosity after God from people who don't know Him. And they will remember what you say. 
They, those words will remain. Those seeds will remain. Use the time wisely. 12.30 next Saturday, Buchanan Street Steps. We're not actually doing preaching at the moment. Well, we are. We're just not doing it publicly. We're doing it one-to-one. Okay? And we've had many conversations. No arguments, thank God. <laughs> many conversations with people seeking God. So come and join us. Do what you should do. And you'll feel better in yourself. And the, the depression can be lifted off your, your life if it should be there. Amen? We'll continue this next week. Brenda, could you give that sheet? I want to give you a sheet here. Every crackpot on the earth seems to be attracted to Israel, you know? And you need to be very careful about the materials you get, about the type of thing you follow in terms of Israel. This is an organization called Bridges for Peace. It's a Jerusalem-based organization of Christians, born-again Christians, who have devoted their lives to building bridges with the Jewish community. They do so respectfully. They do so lovingly. They're involved in a multitude of, of, of practices all over the world in bringing Jews back from Russia, Eastern Europe, etc. They're involved in food distribution and in, in aid of, in all manner of ways. Now, <clears throat> sorry, just look up, please. Sorry, listen, listen. Be careful with the societies that deal with Israel because there's a lot of cuckoo theology, well-meaning people, but there's a lot of wonky stuff. So you've got to be very careful what you recommend to people. I joined this group, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. And I became their distributor to the Jewish community in Ireland because at that time, for about a year and a bit, a year and a half, I was a, a bread man. And I was delivering bread every day. It was kosher bread. It was a kosher bakery. And I was delivering to the bakery. So when I went into the bakeries, I asked my boss, who got saved, can I bring some information to the Jewish community? And he said, yes. So each of the places, there were homes for the elderly, schools, all sorts of places all over Dublin. So this group began to send me out once a month a box of newspapers called Dispatch from Jerusalem. And I would bring those in and distribute them. But I scrutinized them first to make sure that the theology is right and they're not, you know, banjaxed. They're very good. Uh, you can go online. It's called bridgesforpeace.com. But I'll just read through these points. You can take these sheets home, obviously. Stick them somewhere where you're not going to lose them. These are general points about how to pray for Jerusalem, how to pray for Israel. You can go on the website. For instance, this is this month's, <clears throat> this is this month's prayer report. So this will tell you about Syria and Iran and bring you bang up to date. Okay? So you can go on the website. I don't know how they actually distribute this. Um, but this is a, a generic prayer list, one that you can always use. It's not specific to this week. But l l let me just read down quickly the, the points, one, two, three, four. Uh, pray specifically. Read your Bible and pray in the Scriptures. Pray in song and praise. Pray in intercession like we've just covered. Why pray for Jerusalem? And it gives you a list. Uh, what to pray for in Jerusalem. Pray for its peace. Pray for the support financially of those who support Israel financially. Pray for uh, internal affairs within Israel. Amen. 
and on the, 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 the back side of it there. Number four, pray for the defenses of Israel. Pray for its prosperity, for its economy. And then on the other side, the second column, for its people, for safety, for aliyah. Aliyah means return, the return of all the Jews from around the world and for Christian activity in Israel. I'll leave it with you. And maybe the prayer team, if you remind me, when we do the all-nighter, Ben, maybe we can include some section there to, to specifically pray for Israel. We're going to have communion now. I just invite the ushers to distribute that. Thank you, Lord. You know, on, on the road to Emmaus, when the disciples were, were brokenhearted that Christ had been murdered, they didn't know he was walking along beside them until he broke bread. When he broke bread, it says their eyes were opened and they realized that he was the Messiah. And as we take communion this morning, let's pray that for ourselves, that our eyes too, our spiritual eyes, would be opened in regard to the days in which we live. And for the Jewish people all over this world, that the veil would be removed and their eyes would be opened. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice of your life, almighty God, ever-living God. Thank you for coming, coming and living among us, taking on flesh and enduring the cross for our sake. We, Israel, we, your dream, stand here today and we thank you, God. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for the cross. And we pray that our eyes will be opened at the breaking of the bread and we will see we will see what's happening in this world and not be blinded by life or busyness or our own desires and Lord we pray for the people of Israel all over this world wherever they are that you would bless them that you would return them Aliyah return them to Israel Remove the veil, Father. And we as a church, God, help us to do our part and bring in the full number of the Gentiles. Let's just take our bread and wine.